Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host Michael McCall, and we are bringing you a second podcast in a week. There was just so much stuff to cover. We already had a, a three-hour show at the weekend. I didn't want to make it any longer than that. I thought that was really pushing it to to try and go any longer. But in the the last one, we kind of had very much white caps focused. Looking at the 10th anniversary of the the Whitecaps joining MLS. So if you haven't heard that yet, definitely check that one out. We've got some chats with Gerson Kofi and Russell Tybert. And to to round off the last episode, we chatted a a little bit about Canada's under-23 team in the Olympic qualifiers. But it's not just them that's in action at the moment. The main senior men's national team will be having two World Cup qualifiers later this week. So this episode of the AFT and Soccer Show, we're going to be turning our attention mostly to Canada, having a look at the roster that came out for Canada's two games against Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. We'll also be looking at the under-23s as well. And we've got finally time to bring back our travels in the TARDIS. But we're, we're also keeping that with a Canadian national team theme as well. So John Herdman named his squad for the two World Cup qualifiers that are coming up in Florida this week. Canada take on Bermuda on Thursday the 28th. That game kicks off at 5 o'clock Pacific time. Then three days later they're in action again against the Cayman Islands. And that one has a 1 o'clock kickoff time. Now there'd been a lot of speculation in the build-up to this as to just what would Canada's squad look like? Would the European teams be releasing their players for it? There was all the travel difficulties, potential quarantine stuff when they got back to the, the countries they were coming from. We'd kind of heard a, a few different things, for example, around Jonathan David. League One and two clubs were saying that they weren't going to be releasing their players for international duty because of France's strict quarantine laws and the fact that the number of cases there are really on the rise. Then we kind of heard that players could possibly go to international duty if they travel by private plane. In the end, Jonathan David is one of the key omissions from the squad. But there's a a few surprise names on it that I wasn't 100% sure were were going to be on it or not. Leading the way in that regard, Alfonso Davies got a a red card for Bayern Munich at the weekend. And as soon as that happened and he got a two-game suspension, you were kind of thinking, well, no reason for him not to really come over for these qualifiers now, even with the quarantine. 
Yes, Bayern are still in a, a title race for the Bundesliga. They're still involved in Champions League action. But you kind of thought or hoped that, that Bayern would let him come over for this. And they have. And we'll, we'll hear a little bit from John Herdman shortly. But he confirmed that the red card didn't actually play into it. That he was going to get released anyway. So, so that is one good thing. Kyle Larn and Atiba Hutchinson released by Besiktas for this. So that was good to see as well. Larn in an absolutely fantastic rich vein of form for Besiktas just now in Turkey. Banging the goals in left, right and centre. He scored 14 goals and had 4 assists in his 28 Super League matches. 3 goals from 4 Turkish Cup games. No goals in the Europa League, but he did score in the, the one match that he played in the Champions League this season as well. So, I mean, having him back in the, the squad, in the form that he's in, I think can only bode well. And it's absolutely fantastic to see Captain Canuck himself, 38-year-old Atiba Hutchinson, back in the squad with his age, injuries that he's had over the years, the, the travel from Turkey. You would easily have forgiven him if he said, I'm going to sit these two matches out. On paper, the squad should be strong enough to, to get past these two opponents without too much trouble. You don't really need me for, for these games. I'm going to rest up and be good for the summer. But nope. Putting his country first, coming over for these games, have to totally respect him for that. And it just it shows the, the true Canadian icon that he is. Goes without saying how good it is to have Atiba back in the Canadian national team setup, how good it is for the group with all the, the young guys coming through, the experience he can share, everything like that. So let's hear a little bit from the man himself, just chatting about coming into the group, what he's expecting from Canada, his desire to take Canada to a World Cup, and just why was it important for him to fly halfway around the world, to be part of these games, and get Canada's World Cup qualification for 2022 off to a flying start. Is it is it difficult for a player of, of your stature to, if you like, get up for the games against the so-called lesser nations, especially um, if in your case it requires departing from a, a title-chasing club in a, in a competitive European league like what you're involved in at the moment? Uh, for me, it's, I mean, it's, it's not very difficult. Um, I've always been a player that's, you know, I've enjoyed um, representing, you know, my country and it means a lot for me, whether, you know, it's the, the biggest game for Canada or the smallest, uh, just putting the jersey on on my back, uh, you know, was was a special moment. And um, yeah, now I'm at a stage where, like you said, I'm, I'm obviously fighting for a championship in, in Turkey with Besiktas, but um, yeah, I haven't been with the team for, for quite some time now, uh, around almost two years. And, uh, you know, I've, I've I've kind of missed it, so I'm I'm excited about you know having that opportunity to to represent Canada again, be with the boys, uh, be in this environment again, and uh, regardless of of who it may be, I'm I'm just excited to yeah step on the pitch and and play for Canada and hopefully you know put in a good performance and and get a good result for for Canada. You've been involved in the Canadian setup now for for nearly two decades, on a personal level. What would it mean to you to help get this group to a World Cup? And I guess tied in with that, how long can, can you keep going? And 
if qualification for Qatar happens, do you see yourself still playing at the top of your game, approaching 40 when it comes round to Qatar? Yeah, so um, I think uh, for me to have any kind of involvement with uh, helping helping Canada to to achieve that and qualifying for for a World Cup, um, it, it would be it would be everything. I think that's something that's uh, in my mind. I've always told myself that's that's missing in my career. You know, I've I've achieved some things and uh, played in some you know some high levels and, and good stages, but that's always something that I've I've dreamt of of you know playing in a World Cup or or seeing seeing Canada play in the World Cup. So uh, that would be, it would be amazing and an amazing achievement. Um, I don't know how much of an involvement I'll have. It's, it's still unclear. Um, you know, now I'm just kind of, you know, taking it slowly and seeing how, you know, my, my body holds up, how, where my head's at. Um, uh, like I said earlier, I, I'm a little bit focused, well, a lot focused on what's going on in Turkey and, and fighting for a championship, but this, uh, you know, representing Canada is always something that's been in the back of my mind. And if I still, you know, if I feel good enough and uh, I, I feel like I can help out Canada in any ways, then I'll, I'll do that. So, um, yeah, we'll, like I said, we'll see how it goes uh, a little bit further down the road. Uh, you played a lot of football this season and you played very, very well. What's been the key for you to maintain this, this type of form? And then building off of Michael's question, looking ahead through World Cup qualifying, just being around this group, do you feel that there's something different about the team, whether it's the approach, whether it's the talent, that makes you believe that this group has what it takes to go on and qualify for a World Cup? Thanks. Uh, yes. I think, um, well, yeah, for me to be playing at, you know, at the level that I've been playing at this season, I've, I've always been someone that, you know, really takes care of, you know, my body. I, I try to listen to my body a lot and, do what is necessary. And um, I've kind of really just found what works for me. Um, so for me, it's, you know, we're playing a lot of games. So it's about, you know, playing the game and then just recovery. The training load is not very high. So it's mainly about games and, and our games are coming around a lot due to, you know, with the pandemic, they had to shorten the, the schedule of the season this year. So the games come around every, you know, three, four days and uh, yeah, training's not too hard. So I make sure I'm ready for the games, do what I have to do, make sure my body's right. Um, and after the games, it's it's back to recovering again. And um, yeah, I've just found a good, you know, program on, on just finding the best way to, to be fit and to be healthy. And uh, yeah, we're getting close to the to the end of the season. So I think, uh, you know, I'll finish off good and well, hopefully finish off good and then see what happens after that. But um, that's where I stand with with my body and, and my mind right now. Um, and in terms of yeah the the team, I think we've we've got the, that feeling in the the team where there's just a lot of confidence. You know, um, as I've said before, we had a, a very you know wide selection. There's a lot of new faces that I've seen you know coming into this camp that I hadn't seen before. And, and yeah, in the past uh, you weren't able to have such a you know a wide selection. So anyone that comes in, they know they're coming into a team that's you know uh, very confident right now, who have been playing some very good football over the last yeah two plus years, and um, yeah, just excited to be a part of it and add their their qualities to the team. And um, yeah, we have a lot of a lot of confidence, not overconfident, but um, just ready to go out there and and, and fight for Canada and uh, put Canada on the map where we feel that you know Canada should be.
Great stuff from Atiba. Great to hear from him. I tell you, if Canada makes it to the World Cup in Qatar, there's no way Atiba is not going to be part of that group. Don't know what his secret of youth is, but I just feel he could go on playing for a number of years. He's still in top form for Besiktas. Chasing a, a Turkish league title, performing well in Europe when he's played for them. I tell you, he's still got a few years left in his tank yet. So Atiba's commitment to Canada has been clear since he made his debut way back in 2003. 18 years later, still proudly representing his country. An example to everyone. But on the flip side of that is Scotty Arfield, Canada's captain in recent times with Atiba sitting out of some of the more recent matches. And he's a player that, at first, I didn't think would be coming over because... Rangers were obviously wanting to wrap up the Premier title. They were involved in the Europa League. But then they wrapped it up this month. They got knocked out of Europa League action by Slavia Prague. Technically, yeah, they still have two things to play for this season. They're going for an unbeaten season. They're also still involved in the Scottish Cup. But for Arfield to come over and then maybe have to go back and quarantine for for 10 days back in the UK, it wasn't really going to to derail their hopes too much. For a guy that is the captain of the squad, you expect him to come over. You expect him to be a part of this. And John Herdman was asked about it, talked about the fact that they'd had discussions. Arfield has decided not to hang up his international boots, as Stephen Gerrard kind of hinted at last year. But he didn't want to be involved in these games. He wanted to keep himself fit. It was lower opposition, etc, etc. For me, a terrible example to the rest of the squad. A terrible example to some of the top players that you can pick and choose the games that you can play for for your country. You can't. This is something we've seen with Canada before. It's something back in Scotland I've seen multiple times over the years. Players pulling out a squad and not playing games that they didn't want to play or friendlies or or lower opposition like the Faroe Islands and stuff like that. You cannot pick and choose when you represent your country. You're either all in or you're not. And I, I'm very disappointed in, in Scotty Arfield, I've got to say. Now, if Rangers come out and say, we chose not to release him, fair enough. But it's kind of not sounding that way. One of the other big omissions as well is Jonathan Osorio who picked up an injury on Sunday at TFC training, so that ruled him out as well. But, I mean, aside from that, it's a very, very strong squad. You've got Milan Borjan, Maxime Cropot, and Dane St. Clair as the goalkeepers. And I'm not going to go through the, the whole squad, but, I mean, you've got the likes of Joel Waterman getting a, a big call-up for this. Great to see the, the BC boy with his rise from playing with Trinity Western and U Sports onto the CPL with Cavalry onto Montreal and MLS, and now involved in these World Cup qualifying squads for Canada, Sam Adi could be. Over from Norway, there's an interesting battle, really, in the, the full-back department, because you've got Sam Adi could be, you've got Christian Gutierrez, you've got Alistair Johnston, Richie Larea, Kamal Miller. Some very, very strong full-backs in there, which is something that I don't think Canada's had for a while. Centre-back does seem to be the the weakest area of the defence right now. Daniel Henry is out injured in this. Midfield is strong. We've got Mark-Anthony Kay in there. Samuel Piet. David Wotherspoon. He's come over from Scotland for these games, shown his commitment to the programme, so that's great to see. And up front, you've got Lucas Cavallini, Alfonso Davies, 
Junior Hoylett, Kyle Larn and Liam Miller. So three white caps involved in the squad. Crepeau, Gutierrez and Cavallini. So wish them all the best. It's a very strong squad. So the squad was finally announced on Tuesday morning. Head coach John Herdman had media availability as well just to discuss some of the decisions that went into this. So I'm going to play you some select highlights from that conference call just now, just as John Herdman breaks down how this Canada squad was put together, what he's expecting of the guys and a few other things as well. These are unprecedented times. I know you've assembled squads from around the world more than a few times, but can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like pulling this one together? Yeah, this is this has been a an interesting period of time. I think for anyone in the sport, I don't think anything's uh, how it used to be. Uh, but we have got all all the players that that we need for this particular game. Uh, you know, a couple of players that were unavailable either through injury or some strict quarantine reasons. Um, Jonathan David being one, obviously with the French quarantine rules, uh, it made it very difficult to, to get the player back. Um, and, and realistically, you know, FIFA had mandated a five-day maximum quarantine and the French sit on a seven-day quarantine ruling. So that, that, was, that was a bit tricky and I know... Jonathan's got it, but we'll we'll see him later in the piece, hopefully when some of these restrictions lift. And then <clears throat> Jonathan Azario, that was a that was a real tough one on Sunday. He picked up a, a slight injury uh, in his last uh, training session before leaving for camp. So yeah, he was a very late dropout, which um, brought Jaden Nelson into the fold on a on late notice. So. You know, they're, they're probably the, the two that we'd penciled in for this camp that we, we really tried hard to, to get. And obviously with Jonathan, it was just a stroke of bad luck. And in terms of the, the realities that, you know, the, the realities I have to say with Canada soccer, it's been a, a real team effort. Um, if anyone was to understand the sort of processes to, to understand the quarantine rules, to even bring players in to the USA and find national interest exemptions and working with embassies in every one of the countries that these players came from, then working with the federations and the clubs to, you know, ensure that they were confident in our protocols and they were confident that their players would be safe. And then underneath all of that, it's the players, you know, being able to help them understand they're going to travel across the world and you've got to really empathize and, and, uh, take my hat off to these guys. You know, they have families back home that are probably questioning their decisions to, to come halfway around the world at this time in their careers. And it just speaks volumes to, I think, one, you know, the brotherhood and what they've created here and wanting to be part of something. And two, how serious they're taking this World Cup qualification campaign. So, you know, massive respect to not only the, the staff at, at Canada Soccer for the work they've put in to bring these guys in, but also, you know, to the players themselves. I mean, just tremendous commitment uh, to represent their country. Uh, I wanted to ask about Atiba because he's uh, back in the team after a lengthy absence. Can you just sort of uh, give your rationale about uh, his inclusion, please? Look, every camp, every camp we have the conversation, every 
couple of weeks, we were in touch with each other. He's just one of those guys that you always want to, to have part of your group. If you've ever worked with him, you, you realize he's got that Christine Sinclair-like presence. He's, he's just uh, one of those quiet, unassuming leaders. But you know when he's there and you know when he's not there. And I think he just brings a, a level of experience, a, a bit of an aura uh, around his, his presence that young players look up to, but even the senior vets. And I think that's what's special with, with Atiba. He's got so much respect among those veterans like Junior Hoylett and <clears throat> Milan Boyan, Stephen Vittoria, that he sort of, he, he gives them someone to look up to. So for us, he's, he's, presence is, is everything but he's not one of those guys you bring into the environment because of his leadership uh, abilities you're bringing him in because he's on absolute fire in his club environment and whenever you speak to him John it's it's the same the same answer to the question if my body's good I'll be in John I'm committed I want to see this country move to the next level I like what you've created here I love the, the talent that's in the system. He wants to be part of it. But at times when these international windows come up, his body just isn't ready and he has to go into that sort of two-week recovery mode to get him through his season. So, you know, for him to come in, given that he's fighting to, to win a cup, fighting to win a championship, uh, it just tells you, you know, how important he, he sees his role within this team. But more importantly, the opportunity that sits in front of him in this country. Uh, John, just on Alfonso, um, with his red card, did that impact his availability? And second, what can we, we read into with him being listed as a forward? No, the red card didn't. We, we were able to secure national interest exemptions for a lot of these European players. So like I said, it's been a huge process. Um, the, there was a sort of proclamation that came out from from Joe Biden which changed a few things and then a few more changes to the rules just as we thought we'd got on top of that so it wasn't until very recently we were able to secure these exemptions through help through the Canadian Olympic Committee the US Olympic Committee MLS we've had all sorts of people working to ensure that you know people from the Schengen region which typically would have to take a 14-day stand down uh, before they could enter America, uh, could enter. So, you know, Alfonso, he's been traveling around Germany, getting visas. I mean, he's put in a shift to be here. Uh, so that red card, I mean, you know, I, I didn't think it was a red card, to be fair. He, he didn't mean it, bless him. But um, yeah, that, that had nothing to do with it. He, that, that kid's mind's been pretty clear. And as an organization, we never want to take a field with an MNT team without Alfonso Davies in it. So, and if you look at him, you know, listed as a forward, yeah, that's that's the role he'll, he'll be playing in this in this environment. But as I say, that he has that flexibility. So, you know, in-game changes very quickly. He could start at fullback and you know end up in a wide forward position. In some games, we can operate with more of a wing back. So, you know, for us. Uh, I think he wants to be known when he wears his Canadian shirt as a forward. And, you know, I'm happy to list him there. That's no problem. But where we play him, well, you know, that always is a conversation between me and him and then what the tactics are for the game. If you can provide us with an update on 
Scott Arfield because I know he's not in the camp and I know Steven Gerrard made some headlines in October <laughs> saying he's not going to international duty anymore. What, what's the situation with Scott in, in terms yeah, of his representation? Yeah, thanks for that one, Steven Gerrard. <laughs> I had Scott, uh, had Scott call us uh, pretty quickly after saying, hey, I think the gaffer's dropped a bomb in the media. Yeah. Um, no, I think with Scott, it, it's very clear. Like he... Uh, uh, he was due to come into the Trinidad game in March and he's, he's been pretty vocal about his motivation in, in playing for Canada. Um, you know, playing these Nations League games is, has been frustrating for him. You know, playing a lot of games against sort of in his mind and, and he's not being um, arrogant in any way, but I think in national team career, typically you would have friendly games in Europe. You would be able to play like Jamaica is or the US. You'd be at Northern Ireland or play in Holland or Belgium. And that's part of the growth of an international player. Every game for two years was against a, a team you're beating five, six nil, and then you get to a Gold Cup and you get one game against a, a Mexico. And, and I just think it's in people's minds, you've got to think of the motivation of these guys that are going to get on 13 hour flights. They've got to leave their families behind. COVID hits and, and there's new realities there. And, and this guy is, is competing for a Scottish championship. He was competing in Europa League. He'd started picking up niggles and one of his first injuries in his career was picked up, you know, a little calf issue because he'd come off the back of Europa League, came into our camp and picked up a little calf on international tour with us playing against Dominica. So you, you can see there's, there's a lot of factors that come into decisions with, with Scott the one thing he's been very clear on is he's open-minded. You know, he, he, he said this year, I'm, I'm committed to winning the, the title with Rangers. You know, I'm, uh, we want to have a good push in the Europa League. And I think if they'd won the title three weeks earlier, I think the earliest they could have won it was like March the 6th. And we were like, you know, fingers crossed, you know, it was going to happen even earlier if Celtic had dropped points and then it was a different conversation. But... I'm, I'm being very clear with Scott. He knows, like, you don't pick and choose at international level. The message that sends to players isn't, isn't great. But there are some pretty clear circumstances around him. And I don't think anyone questions his commitment because he's turned up for USVI. He's turned up for Dominique. He turned up the two Gold Cups in a row. So I think when the, when the time's right and his mind's right and his body's right, similar to Atiba, you know, we'll see him pull that red shirt on again. You've kind of touched on it there about the fact that a lot of these guys in the squad, they haven't been playing and the MLS guys, most of them haven't kicked a ball in anger since November. How much does that then go into things like your team selection, your game management for these guys? Or do you just go with what you know and you know what they can do, whether they're up to speed or not? Yeah, I think like, um, I don't want to give too much away because I'm sure, you know, Bermuda will be checking out these these interviews so you know the selection will respect the the context that we're in um and everything you've just raised there given again we've only got two days real preparation two training sessions you've got to you know go with guys that are confident and they'll show that in training you've got to go with guys that are in match rhythm and match readiness and then obviously uh, you've got to try and think about putting guys that have played together uh guys that understand each other so 
Uh, I, I think, Michael, it's if you were to sit on paper and start to map it out, it, it, it becomes pretty, a pretty obvious answer about, you know, where these selections might be across the two games. But, yeah, I mean, I don't want to give too much away um, at this stage. And I wear it for my lady, the Canadian flag, baby! Canadian men's national team head coach John Herdman there talking all things Canada and the World Cup qualifiers that are coming up against Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. And I think whoever he puts out, you have to feel that that Canada should comfortably get through these games. I mean, I know it's international football, you don't want to downplay anyone, but if we're talking about this generation of Canada being the golden generation, there's no way they should be struggling in games like these. So... I foresee two comfortable victories. It's really just a case of like getting some rhythm built up, getting some chemistry built up. It's kind of an extension really to the January camp, but just with some actual competitive games thrown in there. Now, the question that I asked John there at the end was really about the squad selection and kind of game management in these two matches. Now, I wasn't expecting him, obviously, to, to reveal anything as to who's going to go out there. That that's a given that you're not going to get that. But what what I was mostly meaning by my questions is, you've got guys just now. Like let's look up front. You've got Kyle Larn flying over in Turkey, banging the goals in. Herdman talked there that he doesn't really see him as an out and out striker. But you've got a guy like him in the form that he's in, and then can I compare that to Lucas Cavallini, who hasn't kicked a ball in anger since November? I mean, for me. Normally, I would say Cava would get the start, but with the form that Lauren's in and the fact that he's got playing time under his belt, he's got those legs, he's up to actual match fitness and the, the match sharpness that you need, you have to go for, for the likes of Lauren in that starting lineup, bring Cava off the bench. And you've got a few other positions all over the park where you've got guys that have been playing regularly in Europe. It's like, do you give them the nod? against maybe more experienced guys or guys that you've seen perform at the international level before but are playing in MLS or, for example, like Sam Adekugby who this season in Norway hasn't started yet. Guys like that where you're thinking, well, they're maybe not up to full match fitness. A bit of a quandary for John Herdman, but if anything, it's maybe going to give him a chance to, to look at some guys that maybe wouldn't normally be regular starters and then see if they they grab that opportunity with both hands. So as I mentioned, three white caps in the team, Kava, Guti and Max Cripple. And I got a chance to sit down with Max Cripple just before he headed off to Canada's camp last week. We're going to bring you that interview after this. This is Atiba Hutchinson and you're listening to the AFTN show. Yes, 
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the latest song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, Russian hard bass band DLB, with a song from their 2019 album of the same name, that was Skies. So as we mentioned in the last part, three white caps in the senior men's national team roster for these two games coming up in the World Cup qualifying against Bermuda and the Cayman Islands. Between the sticks, Maxime Cripple. Now you have to feel with Milan Borjan coming over for these games, he is going to get the start. But maybe you wouldn't be too surprised if you see maybe Milan getting one game, Maxime getting another. I mean, who can say? But I mean, all we do know right now is that the... The goalkeeping talent in the Canadian national team set up from top senior team level all the way down under 17s, even under 15s, is quite exceptional at the moment. And Max is just one of those guys. So he's going to have a, a battle for years to come to try and claim that starting spot for Canada. He's got a battle as well this season to make sure he keeps on to his starting spot and be the Whitecaps number one. Certainly going to be tough pre-season with Evan Newton and Thomas Asal pushing him hard for that starting jersey. So I got a chance to sit down with Max last week, just before he was set to head off with the Canada camp. But we did talk a bit about Canada. We talked about the Whitecaps season to come, the season past as well, and everything that went on with his fractured thumb, and a lot more besides. So it's our feature interview in this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. So go put the kettle on. Make yourself your favourite hot beverage. Grab a biscuit of choice. I recommend digestives, obviously. Sit back and enjoy our chat with Whitecaps keeper and Canadian keeper, Maxime Cripple. Good to be, be back at training. You're just happy to be back on that pitch again? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It feels good because uh, especially with the negotiations with the CBA, it took, yeah, it took like a little longer than we uh, expected because uh, the league wanted to review our work contract and then it went to the negotiation table. Uh, even got delayed three days. Well, we started with a week, three days and then one day. And so uh, after that, the first week that we got like official preseason, uh, it felt great because everyone was in. Uh, a few guys, new signings, yes, winning on visas, quarantining, uh, or away with Olympic team right now. So we don't have the full team yet, but it does really feel good that to be out there, you know, just being in our own building, the facility, being on our grass field, which is, is nice because usually we're on turf here. Uh, at that time of the season, um, we're on the turf. It's Now it's a little bit warmer. We can use the grass, and so it's nice. I don't want to dwell too much on last season because I don't like looking back too much when we've got a season ahead. We've got to talk about your injury though. Like when it happened in that game against Seattle, did you know right away that it was going to be a bad one? <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Like I, I, I'm always looking forward. Not too much dwelling on the past, but uh, like I mentioned that too as well in, in preseason where it's like year three of rebuild like you know 2019 was rebuilt and 2020 for various reasons was a wild year with uh, the pandemic that pretty much hey pretty much hit worldwide around march um 
but now 20, 2021 is really a year where we need to have some fruits of what did you actually put the work in the last two years and, and so on. So you need to have a product that says, oh, wow, there, there's been a project. And it, it did took some time, but it worked. And uh, for my thumb, personally, as it happened, um, I, I remember the ref went to me and asked me if I was fine. And I told him, give me two seconds. It took more than two seconds. <laughs> it yeah. took two seconds. And then um, I like usually when I get hit, there's a pain, sharp pain. And then the, the pain, instead of decreasing, was just increasing. And it was like, all right, I'm out of here. Get Tommy ready. And so um, as soon as I went off the pitch, and I felt a little bit nauseous. I was like, oh man, this thing is broken for sure. And I didn't know at what time it was the wrist, the thumb, the hand, no idea. But I know it was it was considerable, yeah. Yeah. It's it's in the past now. I mean you're you're fully fit, you're you're good to go. It's a it's an interesting battle now with the white caps in terms of goalkeeping. Now, I mean last year was crazy. I've never in all my years of watching and covering football, I've never known a, a club have so many goalkeepers come through and play games. This this season, definitely a battle. Yourself, Thomas, Evan Newton's come in. And I I know it's going to be like circumstances for some of you because maybe away with Canada, Gold Cup in the summer, Thomas could be away with the Olympic team. But I mean, how's this battle been so far? in in the the preseason are you all kind of like pushing yourself to the max of course that's that's what preseason is, is for as well it's not only preparing the body and um preparing either technical get back to your little details and into your rhythm uh but it's most mostly about pushing ourselves in each other and so when in training uh, we have a good group a tight group and when we pick on the little details that we can do better instead of it just like being in in the shadow and just being a little bit silent about it now we're talking about it instead and, and to bring the quality of the group better and so we all work on on details that we can get better but um so far it's been good the group has been tight uh it's been it's been light as well in terms of um in terms of uh how atmosphere and how things uh, can be on the field you know yes we're all competing for for a spot but in the meantime uh, it's important to keep things light and and, and joyful because uh, at the end of the day we're on the field and, and, and we're having good humans and good relationships not uh, it's not uh, a contest of putting a knife in the back of anyone which in different clubs sometimes it happens obviously and so we got good individuals so that's nice it's also the weird situation that there's not many guys at training and there's four years goalkeepers. So <laughs> have have you had a chance to play outfield or are you just concentrating on the goalkeeping stuff? Just the goalkeeping stuff. That's my that that's my bread and butter. So that's it. I'll keep it keep it simple. I actually just a complete aside, I don't know if you've heard today the Olympic qualifiers are underway. Mm-hmm. Haiti hadn't got all their COVID tests done in time. So yeah. they're only allowed to play half their team. So they've got 10 outfield players and an outfield player has to be the goalkeeper because they don't yeah. have a goalkeeper that's like... Yeah, I saw that. I saw that uh, while I was having lunch, actually. So uh, Crazy stuff. But, that's the reality we're in, like kind of sort of bubble in in competitions like this. 
and we never know what the hell can happen actually it's you gotta be on your toes because with that kind of situation it, it can flip a second you got you have no results back in time well who who's responsible lab team i don't know <laughs> we, we don't know that but there's always a factor of um unknown and unknown needs to be uh proactive and not reactive so it's always on your toes and ready to 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 adapt and overcome basically that's the that's the reality we're in yeah i mean the the game's just like changed drastically now with, with everything like my, my team in scotland had been suspended for a while they're getting back at it from tomorrow and they're going to be playing four games and eight day periods Mm-hmm. So it's like yeah. every two days they've got games coming. I mean, that's just like crazy. Obviously, yourselves, you're having to relocate again down to Utah. Um, mm-hmm. It was Portland last year, Utah this year. I had a brief chat with, with Thomas about this because I wasn't sure. And then he said something. So I thought I'll delve into it a little bit more with you. Altitude and how that affects you as a goalkeeper. He had said that he notices from like just being down there and playing before that the ball really moves differently. Is is it a big, big difference as a goalkeeper playing in altitude? Uh, two cities, yes. One, yes. It affects the movement of the balls, definitely. It, it travels way faster than normal altitude, where it's like uh, zero meters from the sea. But now uh, Colorado and Salt Lake, two cities in the league, you can see ball just keep going. And if you hit with a little bit of pace, it just keeps on traveling. And so, uh, same with um, with the knuckle bar. <laughs> the knuckle, if if you had a good player who knows how to hit them, it'll, you you'll need to train them to see it because uh, uh, out of their blue, uh, Blanco he's recovering from his knee. He might be good to go for the pre, for the, season, the beginning of the season, which is our first opponent, and he knows how to hit those balls. Um, and in that altitude, the ball will even travel faster and might go up, down, left, right. In a way, it's non-predictable. So these are all little things that you need to work on. But yeah, it does affect the goalkeeper in in the sense of um, get to move faster and read the play really uh, faster than the usual, which is at our advantage because we'll be there for a while. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say that. It's like, it certainly seems like this could be an advantage. I know RSL in Colorado have certainly benefited over the the years from playing there i'd spoken to a couple of guys scottish guys that had played one in rsl and one in colorado as well in mls and they both said they'd never been fitter like Mm -hmm. when they got there it was like it took them a couple of weeks to get used to it but they that was the fittest they had ever been in their life exactly because it's heavier uh, you gotta breathe more um less oxygen basically so uh, you gotta breathe more and get more oxygen into the lungs into the blood into your muscles uh so yeah it is it is it's not uh we're not saying this just for fun it's science so it's proven now let's turn our attentions to canada we're recording this on friday the 19th so the the squad's not been announced yet for the upcoming world cup games but you were involved in that camp back in january first time back in action for for a couple of months but i mean how good was that for you personally, but also for this group of guys to get those sort of interactions, get some rhythm going, get some chemistry going. Yeah, it was great because uh, for me personally, I was ready. I started to uh, 
after Portland, basically, I took, um, I, I really never really stopped because I kept my rehab going with my thumb. Um, I start, I, I think I trained two weeks with the full, full team uh, in, down in Portland and the season ended, came back, did some rehab. Uh, December 15, I, uh, I started back on the field doing some specific work, goalkeeping work. And then um, in January, I got called up and uh it was great because that's that the, the live actions with the teams and and the real speed of the ball um definitely helped me to to be um to be confident about where i'm today and it felt good about myself because it's uh it's a process of all right i'm fully back now it's in the past my thumb so that allowed me that january camp allowed me to put that behind me and it was great to see real ball action and speed and as for the group um it's fantastic to have it wasn't all the european players so it wasn't a full squad it was only the north american with some of uh the european players but uh, none of the guys that were our first team and playing every weekend week out so uh now we'll be uh, it's going to be uh, uh, the full squad uh, all together for the first time in over a year because of uh the pandemic uh it's going to be a short period two games a week and so uh we we do our homeworks um we do our homeworks uh at home for once we get all together well we know exactly where we left up we picked up and we have we have to keep going like this two important games and then this is the round one and then it's the round two and then gold cup is coming so it's a big year for the national team because um all the games were suspended last year so it's a condensed schedule yeah, I mean, I, I, that that's the thing. Like the the road to Qatar, it's such a long one for you guys because of the way that this works out. You look at these first two games coming up: Bermuda, Cayman Islands. On paper, it should be comfortable. I know it's always dangerous to say that in international football, and no matter who is able to come over with COVID stuff, you would hope that the Canadian squad is strong enough to to get past those two teams. But it's a grueling schedule as well because you've got the Gold Cup and then you've got the, hopefully, the other World Cup qualifiers. You've got to balance kind of being at club level and, and stuff as well. This could be, I, I guess, a year that you find yourself playing more games than, than ever before. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally agree. And I think as the years goes in advance, I'll be like this more and more, you know. Uh, we look at the European fixtures and the guys that are in the national team, they have maybe five days off a week, maximum two weeks in, in a year, and then boom, they go again. So uh, I agree. But as I, I personally get older and um, the road to Qatar and then 2026, uh, as that road arrives, well, of course, level is going to be higher. No team is going to be easy to play. And then at the end of the day, that's real international football. That's the real level you want to be. You don't want to be in a place where you're comfortable and you're you have a few days off a year and you get four days there and three days there. It doesn't exist in real football, you know. You look at all the guys in the Prem, as for example, or the League One or Bundesliga, they have no break. They have maybe uh, two or three week max, and that's it, you know. So uh, I think that's that's the mindset that here in North America we need to get because. A pre uh, off season in the MLS that can go up to three months is a lot, basically. I, I think it was Kava. He was asked about the the quality of the squad. Everyone knows this is a a cream of the crop of Canadian talent. It's like 
one of the best generations of Canadian footballers. But ultimately, you can only call them that if you get the results in the pitch and you do reach World Cups and you do do well at the big tournaments. Is that how all, all you guys basically look at it? Yeah, I mean, in, from, from from inside the player pool, we know it's a quality one and the, the, that chart is full on every single position. You know, it's uh, that, that's what it's exciting about this, about the new generation. Like we have a nice fit of veterans with plenty of experience, a nice fit of mid um, mid guys have been there for a while, but are not considerable like vets, vets yet. I look at myself, myself, I'm a little bit like this since I'm 18, I'm with the group, but I'm still in between because I don't have that international experience hundred percent, you know, I'm still beginning international level. Uh, while Milan, for example, is one of he's, he's a vet, right? He's there for, for a long time and he, he's, he's proven with numbers and with performances over the years. Yeah. And then we got the quality, uh, young talent quality, of um, the the 22 and below years of age, right? Uh, so um, it's exciting because of the depth chart, but exactly it comes down to result. Who are you playing? Who are you beating? At the end of the day, that's how people understand, respect you, and you realize that we have a good team and good generation. It's who you're playing, who you're beating. So I, I know, uh, Max, you're going to be a father. Yeah. Is it June that the baby's due? June 8th, yes. How how does this fit in with everything that you're doing down in Utah and being away possibly at the Gold Cup? And... Oh, yeah. The question, the reaction, the way you ask the question is exactly how it, everything happens and fits together. It's it's a lot of questions, a lot of preparations, um, you know, a lot of questions, but you, you get, a, get the answers to it. So you knock on doors, get the, answer, the, the answers, and you go from there, you can't you can really say, oh, damn, there's too many things going on. There is, actually. But one day at a time, going through, get the answers, move on. So uh, Christian's going to come. We're expecting down in Salt Lake. We have the medical care down there. And then a um, few, few weeks old baby, uh, our little daughter will, be, will arrive. And then uh, Gold Cup will arrive. So I'll be away for... Uh, for weeks maybe if uh, knock on wood life is yeah. good i got i got i'm there with the team and everything works well um but yeah that's the plan of, of this year and then uh, you know it's a minimum of three months down in salt lake uh, we don't know with the government because you know how it is the situation covid situation evolves every week and so um minimum three months but maybe july august are we coming back here sometimes are the borders reopening uh, there's a vaccine question mark as well with the league because I know the NBA is getting vaccinated. Plenty of stuff, right? So, yes, we're going one week, uh, one moment at a time, weather plan in place, and we go from there. But we cannot project ourselves too much ahead because uh, we got to take care of our what's to be done today and tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't envy you at all with, with all of that. And, yeah you'll probably get the vaccine before most of us here. So at least that, that's a good thing for you. Yeah, let's um, see how the league handles this. Yeah, totally. Yeah, fingers crossed anyway, and fingers crossed as well that we do get to actually see you back up here in the summer or end of the season or, or whatever. Denver, BC place, game home. Ha <laughs> oh. ha. How magic would it be, yeah? Good luck. Um, we'll talk soon. And hopefully at some point we'll see you in person this year. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully. Like September, BC Place. I'll call it out. <laughs> Excellent. Cheers, Max. Take care. All right. See you. Bye. Take care, man. Great stuff there from Max Cripot. Always love chatting to Max. And he's certainly got a battle ahead of him for Canada, for the Whitecaps. And I think it's just going to bring him to the top of his game. And, we're, we're, and we saw what Max is capable of in that 2019 season. I mean, it just feels so long ago now. But the saves that he pulled off, that game against San Jose where he set the record for the most saves in a game triple save in the, the game against Atlanta, some other highlight reel saves as well, just all in all, absolutely fantastic stuff. But there is definitely some guys nipping at his heels to, to get those minutes for the Whitecaps this year. And we're going to be hearing from a, another one of those goalkeepers, keeping the Canadian theme going, and that is Thomas Hassal, and he'll be coming up in part four of the show. We'll also be turning our attention to Canada's quest to reach the Olympics in Tokyo and the matches played so far by the Canadian under-23s. But before all of that, it's time to hop in the TARDIS once again. And we'll be back doing just that after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this song, we're continuing this month's Russian music selection on the show. If anyone doesn't know why, I'll explain that in a, in a sec for you. But that was from 2017, and in a tweet that shocked me, actually turned out to be province writer JJ Adams' favourite Russian hard-based techno artist, DJ Blyatman. That was his song Gopnik. JJ says it's all about the Gopnik for him, which surprised me really because I never had him down as that kind of a guy. Definition in English of Gopnik, it's what in Scotland we call Neds. It's what in England they, they call Chavs. I guess it's kind of guys that just like to hang about, cause trouble, drink in the streets, wear their, their tracksuits, especially Adidas tracksuits, stuff like that. Hey, Nice of JJ to share that with everyone. That was from DJ Blyatman's 2017 album, Hardkvkas. You're learning so many Russian things on this show this month. I guess it kind of ties in with talking about Canada and World Cup, since the last World Cup was in Russia. I've only gotten at this a few years ago then, I could have gone over and enjoyed these bands in person. So if anyone is wondering why we are playing Russian music on the show this month... If you missed the the earlier episodes, I was explaining that it was just one of the weird things that I have got into during lockdown, all stemmed from accidentally stumbling over uh, some music, some videos on YouTube by Russian punk rap band Moscow Death Brigade. 
went out and bought their three CDs. Well, I didn't go out. I ordered it from their record company in Germany. Ordered their three CDs, a T-shirt, and then it just kind of took me down this little rabbit hole of other Russian music of various genres. So when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago on the show, I, I threw it out there to ask people, what kind of weird, wonderful, wacky stuff have you got into during the, the last year of COVID? So I'll read you a few more of those responses just now. Brenton Akasa, Caps Offside, said, Gumboots, digging, and tons of football shirts. My co-host of the East Five podcast that we do, Glory Days of Gold, Lee, he has also got very into football shirts in the last year as well. Tim Altman, at Progio One, says, I learned how to solve the Rubik's Cube, learning French, delved into documentaries about the American Civil War and the Zodiac Killer, and trying to maintain growing my COVID beard. Peter Zimmerman said, I watched a lot of Premier League matches. Yes, for me, this counts as obscure. And rather weirdly, I found myself watching less Premier League matches. It's it's weird. Like If you ask me what the table looked like just now, I genuinely don't think I could tell you. Peter also said, I started watching City Skylines videos on YouTube. Subscribed to way too many City Builder content. Currently trying to figure out the optimal playback speed option at which I can still comprehend English and not waste too much time. And if anyone doesn't know, City Skylines, it's a, a city building video game. At Real Kevbo said, Transport Fever gameplay vids are also fantastic. Min Hung Lee said, GME and AMC stocks. What a roller coaster. Keep them coming in if if you want to add to this any weird and wonderful things that you've got onto during the pandemic and let us know as well if you plan to stay into them as the pandemic hopefully slowly comes to an end. So we'll be back talking Canadian national team in the next part of the show when we turn our attentions to the under-23s and the Olympic qualifying. But for this part, we're keeping the national team theme going but instead of looking to the present and the future, we're going back in time, as it's time to jump in the TARDIS for some more football time-travelling adventures. And who are we doing it with this week? Why, it's only the second all-time leading scorer for the Canadian men's national team, Whitecaps forward to St Ricketts. Where's he going to take me to in the TARDIS this week? So I'm a big fan of Doctor Who and it just got me thinking if I could jump into the TARDIS and go back in time to see any three football matches from the history of football, what matches would I I pick to go and see? So I I picked two of the the cup wins that my team in Scotland East Fife had done and the very first ever World Cup final because just to be there would be a immense occasion. So when we're asking players this, we're kind of asking you to kind of have a think back. It could be a game that you played in. It could be a, a game that you went to as a fan. It could be a game that you wish you'd played in. Or it could be just a historic occasion like the first ever World Cup that you would just love to be there. So if you could go back in time and pick three matches, what three matches kind of instantly come to your mind that you, you'd love, love to go and, and watch as a fan? As a fan... I think I go back to 2000 when uh, K- 
Canada won the gold cup, right? Yeah. Um, I think that was a special time. You know, uh, I know a lot of players that were involved in that, in that run, in that campaign. I heard so many stories and I think it would be nice to go back and, and see Canada win something significant. And so that's, that's um, definitely one. Um, another one, I would go back to the, the second leg of Montreal versus TFC. Um, I would like to be in the stands watching that game because, you know, it was, I don't know if you remember oh, the yeah. series. Yeah, it that was, was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it now and I get goosebumps. It was like, wow, just the whole, just both legs, you know, being down. The atmosphere was cold, rainy. It was up and down. They had the lead. We came back. So many goals. It was like such an emotional night. And um, I think as a fan, I've heard many fans say that was one of the best games they've ever seen. And um, they still talk about it till today. So that was definitely a special one. And I would, the last one would definitely be any World Cup game that Pele was in. Um, you can, you can name anyone, you know, um, I would just like to see the, the dynamic, you know, back, back in those times when, you know, he was getting chopped and, you know, they were killing him and the pitches were bad and the shorts were high and it's dirty with the Copas. And it's just, um, the true grind of soccer with when conditions aren't great, but, um, still magic is happening on the pitch. So I would love to see Pele play, um, in a world cup. Yeah, Axel picked Pele as as well. Just any game from from Pele, it's just it's weird when I think back that Pele played in Vancouver in the old NASL days, and oh, he actually. Not about that. But it's like that whole era just fascinates me. All those big guys that came over here to play, and I'd have loved to have seen him play as well. I never got to see Maradona play. I was lucky enough to go and see Messi play when he was down in Seattle when they had the Copa America down there. And I, I briefly saw him come on as a sub in that, but that's three great selections. And a few of our fans have picked that Gold Cup game as well. It's, again, way before my time, but I've kind of watched videos of it, and it's just... It's, it's weird to think, I guess, that that was the last big achievement for Canada. Yeah. You'd have thought with all the players that we've had and that have come through, we would have done something else, but no. Yeah, I'm, I'm dying to to see something else like that happen for Canada. And um, yeah, I think it's on the horizon. You know, we're trending in the right direction. Um, players are getting to great markets, doing big things overseas. Alfonso, Jonathan David, Kyle Aaron, killing it in Besiktas right now. Tiba's still going strong at Besiktas as well. Um, and I just, I just, I'm really hoping for something big to happen in the future. Yeah, fingers crossed. Scotland's finally got to their first big tournament in 22 years, so if that can happen, it can happen for Canada as well. So some great selections there from Toss St. Ricketts. Travelling back in the TARDIS to take in some football matches from the past. I think a, a lot of Canadian fans would love to, to go back and witness that, that special 2000 Gold Cup win. Crazy to think 20 years have passed and that's the last major trophy that Canada has won. Could that be about to change in 2021? 
guess we'll maybe find out in the summer. But if Canada can certainly string all their results together, get their full squad playing to their max, then I mean they've got to be amongst the favourites for, for this summer's Gold Cup. But I'm really enjoying doing these TARDIS time travel adventures. We want to know yours as well. If you haven't submitted your three matches that you would love to go back in time to, to witness in person, get them to me on Twitter at AFT in Canada or send my email aftincanada at hotmail.com. And we will get back talking about Canada shortly, but for now, it's time for this episode's wavelength. And if you've been regularly listening to the show, you will know that it's Football Violence Awareness Month here at AFTN, and we're continuing our songs to celebrate the month with an artist that, I was going to say you maybe wouldn't expect to have a song about football hooligans, but... Maybe you would if you've known about some of his maybe more controversial political takes in, in recent years. And that is Morrissey, former lead singer of The Smiths. And this is a song from his 1992 solo album, Your Arsenal. And it's kind of all about the, the psyche of the football hooligan and the football supporter. This is called We'll Let You Know. Sad are we, and how sad have we been? We let you know, we let you know all but only you're really interested. You wonder how we've stayed alive till now. You know, we let you know, but only if you're really interested. We're all smiles, then honest, I swear it's the turnstiles that make us hostile.
Morrissey there, we'll let you know from his 1992 album Your Arsenal. Song there all about the psyche of football supporters, football hooligans. Take what you want from those lyrics. But let's get back more to the football chat now. And in the last part, we brought you our chat with Maxime Crapeau of Vancouver Whitecaps and Canada. And as we talked about there, from a Vancouver perspective, he's got a couple of guys nipping at his heels, trying to get that starter's jersey. Evan Newton, experienced goalkeeper who's come in from India 11 in the USL, former USL goalkeeper of the year with FC Cincinnati. Spoke to him a couple of shows ago, and I mean, he's just itching to get going, itching to try and get his first MLS minutes under his belt. Then you've also got the young up-and-comer, Thomas Hassau, the 21-year-old Saskatchewan native. And of course, I'm sure you don't need reminding, but Crepeau and Hassau were two of four Whitecaps goalkeepers that saw MLS minutes last season. Hassau coming on to replace Max Crepeau in the MLS's back tournament in Orlando in July, making his MLS debut as a sub against Seattle Sounders. And he actually ended up leading the way in terms of appearances for for the Whitecaps goalkeepers last year with 10. Evan Bush had 8, Max Crapeau had 4, and Brian Meredith had 3. Crazy, crazy stuff. As I said there, never seen a season like it before in all my years of watching football to have that many goalkeepers go down with a variety of injuries. And it was a great opportunity for Hassal, but unfortunately he suffered a fractured tibia and a concussion in September, ruled him out for the rest of the season. But like Max, he's back, healthy, raring to go, maybe not fully up to match fitness. And that was one of the reasons that he hasn't gone away with the Canadian under-23 Olympic squad just now for the qualification down in Mexico. More on that later. But it's a, another big, big season for, for Thomas Asal. I mean, he, he basically came, I don't want to say from nowhere, because anyone that's watched him in the academy knows what a talent he was and that he was a top prospect for the Whitecaps for the future. But I don't think many people really expected him to get playing time last year. Now, he probably wouldn't have if there hadn't been the, the death in Brian Meredith's family that, that called him away from the MLS's back tournament, along with Max's freak fractured thumb injury. But as we say with all these young guys, when you get your opportunity, you have to take it. And he certainly did that. But he still has a lot to learn. You saw that in the MLS games he played. Needs to work a little bit on maybe commanding the box, his punching. Just It's what you'd expect a young 21-year-old goalkeeper to have to work on. And he's only really fully going to be able to work on that in competitive matches. Now, the Whitecaps don't have a USL team. The chances of the under-23 squad getting any meaningful matches is also going to be pretty nil you have to feel all year so for Thomas Asal it's a case of either he pushes Max Crapeau to the extent that he claims the number one starters jersey or if it does look like he's not going to be getting many minutes this year I think Mark DeSantis has kind of addressed this as well not just specifically about Thomas Asal but with a number of the, the young players on the squad just now the only real thing is to get him loaned out get him into a competitive match day environment, get those minutes under his belt, and that's the only way you're going to learn. That's exactly what Max Crapeau did. Montreal sent him to Ottawa Fury, won goalkeeper of the year honours in the USL with Ottawa, came back to MLS then with the Whitecaps, and we saw what he produced in 2019 on the back of that. 
but those discussions are for another day. So I want to bring you a little bit of audio just now. Got a chance to, to speak to Thomas Asal, I think a couple of weeks ago now, just about his recovery, getting ready for playing, the Canadian situation, and a few other things as well. Looking back on last season, it was obviously a bit of a roller coaster for you. You you came in to the starting lineup, then then you got injured. How do you look back on last season for you from a, a personal level? Yeah, from a personal level, I look at the last season um, as something that I'm extremely proud of. Um, it's a moment in time that I spent the last seven years working towards, but. Furthermore, now I look at it as something to build off of and to use that experience to be even better and to grow from it. This season's obviously, there's a, a really good goalkeeping battle brewing between yourself and Maxime and, and Evan. Can you just talk a little bit about that and just how the three of you are kind of pushing each other right now at training? Yeah, all three of us are pushing each other. We all want to do what's best for the club. We all want to play, um, of course. Uh, we all want to be the starter for the club. And right now, preseason is a battle. So every single day we're out there pushing and just trying to be the best that we can every single day. And we push each other doing that. Be- being down in Utah, the altitude and everything like that, does that make it different for a goalkeeper as to how you play, how you handle the ball and, and various things like that? Yeah, actually, the, the last game that I played last season was in Salt Lake. And noticing just the altitude the ball moves a bit quicker for us so for us it's staying sharp seeing the ball um i know in the warm-up it was okay let's get used to the ball how does it travel on cross balls how does it travel off volleys how does it travel off the foot so us being down there will i think it'll be it'll be a cool experience and it'll be a new way to learn how the ball moves in high altitudes and get used to it the canadian olympic squad obviously came out yesterday you went on it which surprised a lot of people I don't know, you might not be able to say too much, but what were those discussions like? Because I know you've been involved in the, the senior mix as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, anytime you get called up to represent your country, it's, it's an enormous honour. It's something that myself and my family, we have extreme pride in. Um, but just speaking with the club about it, we wanted to make sure we did things right. And they have my best interest in mind. So we wanted to make sure after taking these months off with the injury, that we did everything the proper way. And unfortunately, with the off-season, I didn't have a chance to train with the full team. So again, the club wanted to protect me and wanted to make sure that I got back to my best in the correct way. Because of that, I'm looking forward to joining the group once they qualify for the World Cup and being at my best. So That's great. Thanks so much, Thomas. Good luck. Thank you guys so much. Vancouver Whitecaps and Canadian national team goalkeeper Thomas Hassel there. And undoubtedly, if Canada do make it to the Olympics in Tokyo in the summer, Hassel is, I would say, a, a lock to, to be part of that squad. But in international football, you, you can never be 100% certain, but you, you have to think that he will be involved in that. Definitely a quality keeper. Whether he would be the starter, though, for the under-23s, but you have to think, probably not right now. Because of the form, down in these Olympic qualifiers, of Montreal impact, I was going to say, but CF Montreal goalkeeper, James Pantemis, 
Outstanding second half performance from Pantemis in Monday's second game against Haiti. Haiti pushed so hard to, to get a goal and kind of keep their qualification hopes alive in that second half. And Pantemis brought out a string of top saves in the 0-0 draw. And as we've, we said before, it's like it's just another indicator of how strong the goalkeeping pool is for Canada right now. In the senior national team squad, just in this particular one, you've got Milan, Borjan, Maxime Crapeau, Dane St. Clair. Three keepers that have been playing outstandingly for, for their clubs in the last couple of seasons. At under-23 level, James Pantemis standing on his head there against Haiti. Thomas Asal not travelling down to these Olympic qualifiers in Mexico. Did so well with the Whitecaps last year when he came in. Down at under-17, under-15 level, there's some strong goalkeepers coming through there as well. So I just want to play a, a little bit of audio just now from Canada under-23 head coach Mauro Biello. I just asked him just about how he feels about the strong goalkeeping core within the Canadian setup right now. An exceptionally strong performance from James Pantemis in goal for you today. Some some big, big saves. Can you talk a little bit about him and his performance and also just the, the strength that that goalkeeping position seems to have for Canada just now at all levels of the programme? Yeah, I think a fantastic game uh, for James. Uh, he came up big for us in those moments. And, uh, you know, that's what all great goalkeepers do is to be able to to make that key save in those right moments. And uh, today, they were, you know, they, uh, you know, they had a couple of good chances that he uh, he was able to bail us out in. And, you know, he credit to the other keeper, made a couple of saves also uh, on their end. But uh, in terms of the program, yeah, we, uh, we got a good depth of goalkeepers uh, in Canada at the moment um, from the top to the bottom. And uh, it's exciting, exciting for this country to see uh, how many good keepers are coming up through the ranks. And Mauro Biello certainly right there. I mean, it's such a, a strong goalkeeping pool that Canada's got from top to bottom right now in, in the men's system. And it's fantastic to see. It's sad in many ways as well because there's only one guy can be playing and if he's your main guy, he's going to be the guy that's getting the, the bulk of minutes. But the talent in that position, the talent that we've produced through the years in Canada, here in Vancouver as well, it, it's been exceptional. And for guys like Pantemis and Hassal, as I talked about there but before I played you the, the chat with Thomas Hassal, these guys need to get minutes. They're in the key stage of their development. Pantemis is 24 now. He needs to be starting games. And is he going to dislodge Clement Diop at Montreal? I don't know if he is, but form like he showed down against Haiti, I mean, you, you never know. He, he could win it on the training ground. But these guys have to go out and get minutes. That's exactly what Pantemis did last year. Went and played with Valor in the Island Games tournament in the CPL and kind of shone during that tournament. And it's just as well that he was in top form because Canada certainly needed him against Haiti in their second of the Olympic qualifying games on Monday. A nil-nil draw. At the time, you thought... Well, there was a couple of ways you could take it. Nil-nil against Haiti... On paper, you think these are the teams we should be beating. But I think Haiti have shown what a strong group of young players they've got coming through at the moment. That first game 
with their loss 3-0 to Honduras. You can't take anything from that. They had players missing because the COVID results hadn't come back. They had an outfield player, a central defender in goal in that game as well. And he still only had one save to make. Well, I guess he had four technically because he let three of them in. But you know what I mean. But that game, you can't take much from. The game against Haiti, first half, Canada dominated. It was all Haiti in the second half. Haiti certainly could have got quite a few goals. Pantemis was in top form. Canada could have got a few goals as well. How that match finished 0-0, I do not know. It was a fantastic end-to-end entertaining match. If you haven't seen it, try and check out the highlights at least. Some great, great stuff in that game. But then you thought, well, it's leaving Canada second in the group on four points. You kind of thought with the goals that Honduras had put past Haiti that no matter what, going into this third group game on Thursday against Honduras... Canada were probably going to be going in second anyway, behind on goal difference. So they were going to have to win against Honduras anyway to claim first spot in the group. And that that's exactly how it now looks. But not in the way that we were expecting because Honduras and El Salvador played out a one-all draw in the second of the Group B matches on Monday, leaving the group finely balanced. Canada and Honduras, four points. Haiti and El Salvador, one point each. Could all come down to goal difference. Whoever wins the the game between Haiti and El Salvador on Thursday could do enough to finish second in the group, depending on the result between Canada and Honduras. I mean, I think you still have to to favour Canada and Honduras as going through one and two. But as we talked about before, and we talked about in our extra podcast, Canada do not want to finish second in the group. Or probably don't want to finish second. Because that is going to set up a showdown with Mexico, you would think. Unless the USA pull off a big shock and beat Mexico on Wednesday. So Canada really has to go for it in this final game on Thursday. Get the win against Honduras. It's going to be tough. Players are tired. They're going to be run a little bit into the ground. So I'm just going to round off this episode with a, a little bit of audio from Myra Biello. Just talking about what to look forward to for, for the game against Honduras. The first game that Honduras had against Haiti, I don't know how much you can take from that because of the circumstances. From what you saw in the second game, is that more what you are expecting from this Honduras side in this one? Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, everybody could, you know, that first game could cancel out. I think we all saw what happened in the first game with Haiti, uh, you know, having a field player in nets. Starting the game with 10 men, playing 30, 30 minutes with a man down, not knowing if they had any subs at any point. So, you know, that game um, went in Honduras' favor. I think the second half was a better indication. It was a 0-0 score against Honduras. Um, but for sure, the Honduran team that we're facing today, I think, has also a very good defense, very physical, technical team. Um, you know, I think they're more physical than El Salvador. Uh, there's a few elements there on that team that we have to keep a close eye on in terms of quality, in terms of athleticism. Uh, so there is those those challenges. A lot of similarities, I think, way they, the way they play um, with with us. You know, after analyzing them. Um, but again, it, it'll be a, a a difficult game, no doubt. Uh, it's a team that for sure wants to win the same way we do. Um, you know, they had that opportunity like we did and, and it didn't happen for them. Uh, 
these are things that happen in, in tournaments. Uh, so now this game will be the decisive game to see uh, who could win the group. The scenario if Haiti and El Salvador draw before you guys and then you know you're through to the semifinals, if that happens, would that change your approach at all to this match? Absolutely. Uh, there, is, uh, there is some factors there that we have to consider. Um, for sure, it's always to win, um, but I need to uh, be able to manage that, right? And, and in the best way possible uh, where, you know, my subs plan has to be where we know we're in, you know, we don't want to uh, enter that next round on empty versus uh, the two top teams, one of the two top teams. And, and I think that's where we have to be good at uh, in now um, uh, managing the game once we know that clarity of the first uh, of that, that game before us is, you know, could there be subs at half? Could there, you know, what what is our game going to look like? Where are we at? Uh, you know, do we push this game uh, to, to try to finish top of the group? Uh, or, or uh, you know, or is it best to have freshness? So, look, these are what we're going through as a staff. It's not it's it's not easy because again there's so many factors whether it's players fitness different players have knocks the yellow cards opponents uh, uh, so look we're we're working on that and then you know for me to tell you something that's black and white I can't it's not right now but uh, we will we are looking at different scenarios and what is the best solution um, for us at that point and and uh, you know hopefully we'll we'll come out of this game against Honduras. Uh, in the right way um, and have the best uh, players available and freshness for, for that semifinal. Myro Biello there. Looking forward to Thursday. It is a fantastic day if you're a voyageur, if you're a Canadian soccer team fan. You've got the senior men's national team going at five o'clock, taking on Bermuda in World Cup qualifying. Soon as that finishes, the under-23s taking on Honduras in a must-win game. A draw would be enough, but to really, really keep their qualification hopes alive, a must-win game in the Olympic qualifiers. Can they do it? Well, we'll find out, and we'll be chatting about it in the next AFT and Soccer Show. But that is it for this episode. Thank you for joining us for another show. Hope you've enjoyed it. A Canadian men's national team-themed show. I've been Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Get in touch there as well or send us an email aftncanada at hotmail.com. Give us a like, a subscribe and a thumbs up please on YouTube. Definitely give us a follow there. We've got some more stuff coming out on that channel soon. We need to get the subscribers up as well. We've got to try and get to a thousand tests so we can maybe get some monetization going for the channel and for the site as well. We're just at 379 I think it is just now. I haven't really pushed that too hard over the years. So youtube.com backslash AFT in Canada, please subscribe on there. But that is it for this show. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and Ali La Rouge. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>